Sure. I, I, this is, so this is the level I, I played at and this is the level I, I wanted to start coaching at. I had a couple division twos uh, before my first job offer. Um, before I took my first job, I should say, I had a couple division twos that offered me uh, positions on their staffs and I actually turned them down to stay at division three. And, and one of them was actually one here on the island. Uh, he's no longer coaching there, but still to this day, I see him. And every single time I see him, he, he shakes his head and he says, I can't believe you turned me down for a division three. And I said, yeah, but it's Cortland, you know? So it's like certain, certain places are, are tough to turn down. I, I really believe in the holistic development of the student athlete. I, I believe in, um, you know, the proper place of where, uh, you know, college basketball is in the, in the overall college experience. And, you know, I, I think that at this level, um, more so than the other levels, I think that uh, student athletes are here for the right reasons. They pick certain schools for the right reasons. They're not picking a school based off of what it's going to be, you know, how they're going to be able to sell it to their friends or what it's going to look like on social media. They're choosing it for the education that they're getting, the location of the school, the type of school that it is. And then, yeah, the uh, basketball program and the coach and, and the atmosphere and, you know, the winning uh, tradition, all those things are going to play a, a role, but they're not the defining role in why a student would, uh, you know, would pick a particular place. So I believe in this um, in this level of college basketball. I believe in the mission of Division Three and and what it stands for. And uh, I think you know, by and large, the the student athletes are here for the right reasons. So let me just follow up and and, and ask you this because you mentioned it, you know usually the student athlete is there for the overall college experience, the the academics, the location. How does that play into your recruitment of an athlete? So I've been very fortunate in essentially really every single place I've been. And you mentioned at the top that I've been at, at several different division three institutions. This is the sixth school I've coached at in 16 years and all the division three level and legitimately every single place I've ever been, there's a defined reason why a student athlete would pick that particular school. I've been at a federal service academy and, uh, and two maritime schools, John Jay, which is the preeminent criminal justice school in the world. NYU, you know, really needs no introduction. Um, Denison University outside of Columbus, Ohio was a very, uh, very good liberal arts Midwestern uh, university. And that was really my first foray into being, you know, being able to recruit nationally and, um, and, and being at a place that was, that was nation renowned, so to speak. And then Cortland, which was my first job, which is a very, very good physical education school, um, sports management, athletic training, a lot of athletic type majors. So it has the moniker of being a jock school, but a lot of the academics of why a student would pick that school lends itself to being, you know, being good in sports. So, or having that athletic mentality. So every single place I've ever been, and I, I only want to be at schools like that moving forward. Um, there's a defined reason why a student would pick that school. The old UPS commercials, what can Brown do for you? Well, what can this diploma do for you when you go and you, you apply it to, you know, to a chosen profession or, or a chosen vocation? Um, I, I've never wanted to be at a school that was just a hodgepodge of, of majors and there was no defined reason where if I said John Jay, you really know why, why somebody picked that school. You say the United States Merchant Marine Academy, you know. NYU, because it's so big, 
but because of it being world renowned and 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 so popular and and the majors and you know maybe Stern Business School or something like that. Um, but just to, to try to tie a bow on your on your question, I love the fact that I've been at places where there's a defined reason why somebody chooses that institution. And that makes it a lot easier to recruit because you can narrow down your pool that much quicker and, and ultimately get to who you really want and who wants you and, and go from there. Thank you. Thank you. So now we go around and, um, you know, the other coaches get to ask you some crutches, questions. L, you got a question for, for David? Sure. David, thank you for being on with us tonight. <clears throat> um, you brought up Ohio. My question was, I'm um, recently my coach, Nancy Darn, she was the coach when I was at Ohio State, she passed away. And um, I was wondering, as a coach herself, what coaches has had the most impact on you? And how do you want to be remembered by, remember with your players? So that's a great question. I've been around good ones and I've seen good ones. And, you know, Ben was talking before we got on about, um, you know, the, the Garf Clinic. And, and I've been very fortunate in, a number of years in coaching to see certain coaches up close and, you know, the, the, the public persona of who we all think they are. And then in a smaller setting, a more intimate setting where you can really say, okay, is this person who I thought he was? Um, the, the first person that comes to mind and I, some of these coaches, I don't know personally, I'm just talking about just who I've drawn from or who I, I truly respect from afar. Buzz Williams is one that really, and I'm not sure he was at that Garf clinic or a different one. I think the first clinic I ever saw Buzz at, Buzz at was a clinic for, uh, by Jimmy Carr. And I know, I know Jay Griff knows Jimmy Carr because he's a Jersey guy, but he did, used to, still does uh, a, a clinic um, to, uh, to memorialize his, his son who passed away tragically. And Buzz Williams, the very first time I saw him uh, at this clinic, he started to like, I don't do clinics. This is not who I am. And I think he was still at Marquette at the time. And he gives out his, his personal cell phone number at the end of the clinic. And for an hour and a half, he talks about some X and O stuff and some, some, some schematic things basketball wise, but it was much more about how, how do I reach every single player in my program? How do I get them to, to stay motivated? How do I uh, prepare them for life? You know, how do, how do you tie a tie? How do you shake a hand when you, get, you know, introduce yourself to somebody? Um, how do you do your taxes? Um, how, do you, how do you balance a checkbook? Um, you know, different things that, that it, was, it was much more than just basketball to him. And I think the coaches that I've been most attracted to are the ones that, that really basketball is secondary to life skills, to preparing them to be, you know, men of character, uh, family men. Now, how can I how can I make sure that the four years I have somebody in my program, I can help them become the best father they can, um, you know, to get them to be the best son that they can be, the best uncle, you know, grandson, whatever it is. Um, you know, that that's important to me. Um, so really, uh, that's Buzz is one. Um, I'm going to give you another one, and it's somebody that I, I worked with at, at John Jay, you know, and I, I use his name almost every podcast I'm on and, and any interview. I, you know, Ryan Hyland is somebody that I admire because he has as little ego as you can have while still being a successful head coach. I think every head coach has to have a certain amount of ego. But when, you know, I came onto his staff three years ago now, um, he legitimately, and we knew each other before I came on, 
but he legitimately had zero ego about him. Every time I, I wanted to speak up or wanted to make a point or wanted to challenge something or somebody or whatever it is, it was never taken personal and it was always legitimately welcomed. And it was never like, okay, Coach Muchnick speaks. And now because I'm the head coach, I'm Coach Highland, I have to speak on top of him to make sure the players know I'm the head coach, I'm the last one to speak. He never, ever did that once in two years. And for somebody as young as he is, um, a few years younger than me, uh, to, to, to know that that really, like that, that increases buy-in from your players, from your staff, from administration. Like anybody that's around the program for five seconds knows yeah, he's the head coach, but he doesn't have to act like the head coach all the time for people to take him seriously as the head coach. So, um, you know, so those two, you brought up Ohio State, very la last quick one. And I know he's not the, the, the best model as a coach per se, because he was uh, let go somewhat disgracefully at Ohio State. Uh, and you know where I'm going with it is, is, is Woody Hayes. So Woody Hayes was actually a Denison graduate. And every time that the, the Denison football team used to, um, you know, come out of the locker room or come onto the field, there was this big rock that they dedicated to Woody Hayes and they would touch the rock and their hashtag touch the rock. But he was famous for saying you win with people. And, and I don't know anything about Woody Hayes as a person. He passed away before I got to, you know, to, to know who he was, but that quote, you win with people is a very, very important quote to me. And I think kind of encapsulates what I mentioned about Buzz, what I mentioned about Ryan Highland and, and what I really truly stand for of, of um, you know, who I look up to in this profession are the people, are the coaches that take that quote to heart. And uh, the second part was, how would you want to be remembered by your friend, by your um, friends, you hear me? By <laughs> your team, when they you, walk you, away from the experience. Yeah, you're you're a great journalist because you didn't let me slip that second question. You made sure you made sure to get in there. Um, how do I want to be remembered? I, I want to be remembered as a coach, and and hopefully every place that I've I've been, you know, record wise, I I've I've left every place I've been with the program being better than it was when I got there. How much did I personally have to do with it? That's up for interpretation. Who knows? Um, but I always want to make sure that I leave, you know, you talk about the you know, players to leave the Jersey in a better place. You know, the, um, the, uh, what's the, the New Zealand rugby, uh, team, the, um, what's, what's the name of it? All Blacks. The all blacks. Thank you. Um, you know, leave the Jersey in a better place. <laughs> I really believe that if I'm leaving not only the program in a better place when I leave, but if I'm leaving as many players as I can in a better place. And you're not, as a coach, you're not going to be able to reach everybody. Not everybody's going to like you personally. Not everybody's going to respond to your coaching style. Your job as a coach is to try to touch as many, um, you know, players in the proper way as you can and, and really leave a, a legacy on them. Um, I want to be remembered as somebody that, that they knew they were being coached by somebody who loved the game, who truly loved people and value relationships and helped them as much as I could in the greater scheme of how do I help the program as well as try to help every individual, which is a tough line to, to kind of, kind of, you know, tight rope walk. So that's, that, that's how I'd like to be remembered as somebody that, that didn't take himself ser too seriously 
um, that helped them get to, to be in a better place and that I hope hopefully left the program in a better place as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Great questions. Jay Griff, you're up. My man, what's going on? How are you, Dave? Good. How are you, man? I'm expecting good questions from you because uh, now, listen, now you listen, can give me, I, can give I, me I, back for everything I ever did to you. <laughs> you, you, you served it up for me. So um, I, get, I could definitely attest to everything you were saying about Ryan. You know, uh, John Jay is definitely a special place. Um, and, and that was something that, that I gravitated, you know, towards John Jay, um, not only for him, but, but, but for you as well. Um, you know, you, you were definitely a, a wealth of knowledge um, and, and immensely helped me, you know, uh, in my first year of, of coaching college basketball. So first, I want to thank you um, because um, I became a better coach because of you. So here's my question. Um, you, you, we, we've talked hours um, about coaching and, and responsibilities. Um, what do you think makes um, a good assistant? And what, would, what advice would you give to uh, maybe a younger coach who's just kind of starting out? Um, I, I know you told me some inside things, but – you know, if you could share that with the podcast, um, I, I think that would be great because I think there's a lot of guys out there, um, not necessarily guys like me trying to make the jump from high school to, to, to college, but, um, you know, uh, guys coming out of college, you know, looking to get a job or first year coaches kind of looking to start. Yeah, that's, I'll, so I'll take the second question first and, and I really appreciate everything that you said and, and everything you know goes right back to you I, I really enjoyed the year that we spent on staff together um, a story always pops into my head when I hear anything that's somewhat similar to this type of question uh, my first year in coaching uh, I was a couple months into my first year at Cortland um, and just the backstory Cortland and where I played at Geneseo were in the same conference so now I'm going to going now coaching players that I played against in college that were on my scouting report and I was on theirs. And that's, that's a tricky situation. So I remember two or three months into coaching. I don't even think we had a practice yet. I'm in the office still. My boss is out at a, at a restaurant or a bar and I'm supposed to meet him after I'm finishing a couple of things in the office, a couple of players come into the office and he, uh, you know, one of the players calls me by my first name. Now, Hey Dave. Hey. And I, I, correct him. I said, no, I'm coach Muchnick, not, not Dave. And, you know, they, oh, they snap to it and they call me coach. They leave. I finish up my stuff. I go to the bar, meet with my boss within five minutes of being there. And I, I have a smile on my, my, my face. I'm thinking I'm doing the right. Hey, hey, Bobby, Bobby walked into the office. He tried to call me Dave. I told him he had to call me coach. And I have a smile on my face and there's other people around. And my boss pulls me away to a, a back part of the bar. And he said, you don't have to, if you do this job right, you don't have to correct anybody on what they call you. They can call you Dave, they can call you coach, they can call you sir, they can call you, you know, expletives, whatever it is. They can call you whatever they want. But if you do this job right, they're going to have the same amount of respect for you, no matter what they call you. And even more respect if they don't call you coach sometimes, because now you're not that outsider or that, that, that authority figure only, you're one of them. And that stuck with me. And, and to this day, anytime my first text message, my first phone call with a recruit, I don't say, hey, I'm Coach Muchnick from so-and-so. I always say, hey, John, I'm David Muchnick. 
from NYU, from John Jay, from Merchant Marine, from Maine Maritime, whatever. I always use my first name. And I guarantee you, they will call you coach in the, their response. You can introduce yourself whatever you want, but you're showing that, hey, I don't have to call myself coach to have that authority over, over anything. Um, and so that, that's a, a small answer, I guess. But for assistance, to not take yourself too seriously, respect is, is earned, not given. And the more that you can show the players that you're coaching, that you're around to help them, that you're there as a resource, anything that you need, I'm here. Okay. In my coaching career, I've, I have bailed players out of jail. I have helped them with, with you know, fights with, with girlfriends. I've gotten them into, gotten them out of, excuse me, not into, out of other trouble. Um, you know, I, I've, I've made sure they got home safely because I knew they were downtown someplace in a college town and like, no, you got, you got to go back home. Um, and th those are only a couple things. And then they know that you've got their back. And they, they know that, that you're going to be there for, for whatever they need. As an assistant coach, that's really, really important. And you have to be the conduit between the, the players and the head coach. Um, the first part of your question, I became a better assistant after I became a head coach because I knew what I needed as a head coach. I needed certain things from, from assistant coaches. And then there were things that I picked up on when I became a head coach that I realized that certain disagreements I might've gotten in with other bosses of mine when I was an assistant and with my head coach, I saw it from their perspective. Didn't always, still don't agree with everything that may be certain disagreements, but at least I can see more from their, their perspective on, on, on some things. Um, but I became a better, definitely, I became a better assistant coach after I become, became a head coach because I knew when to speak as much as possible. And I knew when to shut up as much as possible. You've worked with me. You know, I don't shut up very often, but there are times where like you have to, you have to, Hey, you have to take a step back or you have to, to bite your tongue or you have to read the room a little bit better. It's not just enough that, Hey, if I speak about this point, it doesn't matter if I'm right. It doesn't matter if I'm trying to prove to the people in the, in the gym or the locker room that I know what I'm talking about. Sometimes the, the situation, the timing doesn't warrant it and you can find a better, a better situation or time to express that um, or in a different way, or, Hey, I don't have to stop practice. I could just saddle over to a couple of guys that are, that are watching a drill and or online for a drill and, and talk to them a little bit. So just different things like that. Um, you know, obviously loyalty is very important, but I think loyalty and truth is even more important. I'm not doing my job as an assistant if I'm not telling you the truth and what I truly believe. You're the head coach. It's up to you to make the final decision. But if I'm only saying to you what you want to hear, then I'm definitely not doing my job. And it might come off as loyalty initially, but that's not loyalty. So different things like that. And, and you know, the, that tweet that I had that went viral last year that, you know, what you know, which one I'm talking about, Jay, you know, that yeah. it was Bru Bruiser Flint, you know, arguing yep. with Archie Miller on the bench at Indiana. And, and there were people on both sides of that argument that you shouldn't be arguing with, with an assistant or a head coach on, on national TV. No, that's great. That's what real loyalty is about that they're arguing, but it's for the betterment of the, of the team and the players. I, I know I took, I took the, the, the side of that. I, I thought it was great. From now on, when I become a head coach again, I want, and I, I did that a little bit when I was a head coach the first time, 
but I want my assistants to argue with me, make me a better coach, make us a better staff, make us a better program. As long as you're not being argumentative, if you have a point and you believe in it, argue with me to the death if you, if you want, but you better be able to back it up and have reasons why. Yeah. Great answers. Great answers. Thank you. As, as always, as always. And, and the one thing that, that I think always stuck with me, um, I, I think it was mid year and, it wasn't my first scout, but I think it was my second scout that you were helping me on. And, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, a, a, a pulled thin at that point. And I remember you, you t told me, uh, and it was great advice tonight. And I still kind of take heed and, uh, to that today. And it was just do what you do best, you know? And, uh, and I think that was some great words of wisdom for me at the moment. I needed that. And, uh, I think that rings true for, for any, uh, assistant coach now. Well, I think, I think it's so important that when you're an assistant or you're a new person on staff or like you can't be anybody else, you have to be yeah. yourself. You have to find what you do well and, and, and play to your strengths. And yeah, you're always going to try to improve your weaknesses, but you, you're giving a scout. You can't be me. You can't be Rob Walton. You yeah. can't be Wade Cornegay. Like you have to be Jason Griffin. Yeah. So and I think that's really important to making sure that the players respect you too, because you have that level of authenticity that you're going to be who you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's great. I think that's great advice to, to be who you are. Um, I think a lot of times uh, coaches on, on staff, they say what they think the head coach wants to hear. And, and it's, it, it's not to the benefit of, the program, you know, um, you did bring up being a head coach and, um, was it, was it merchant Marines or maritime? You took over midway through, right? Yep. So, yep. The U S the merchant Marine Academy. Yep. So taking over midway through, like, what are, what are the obstacles that, that were in place that you had to overcome for the rest of the season? Because you went on to have a, a pretty successful season. If I'm, if I recall correctly. Yep. Yep. Everything. Legitimately everything. Um, and it was, it was the way in which I, I, I took over the, the position, which was on, under unfortunate circumstances um, that I had nothing to do with. They were just unfortunate circumstances. Um, we were one and four in the league. We had a, a rough first semester. We were, it was early January. Um, the, the situation that, that, that took place to lead to the, to the, you know, to um, the situation and, and me taking over uh, was, was very uh, morale deflating, to say the least. And in 48 hours of me taking the job over, uh, we had to go on the road and play a, a top team in the league. And we lost that game. We went to one and five. And there wasn't a lot of time to change anything. And here I am. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Um, and we lost on, on a Saturday afternoon. We get back late Saturday night. And I remember that's that next morning, Sunday morning, I'm, I'm uh, in bed with, with my girlfriend at the time and I'm brainstorming. I'm trying to think of something. I wanted something tangible that we could rally around um, somehow and started brainstorming things, maritime themes and different things. What about an anchor? Okay. What, what, what? So I'm thinking maybe go down to a marina or a dock and, and try to get like a legitimate anchor that you could you could hold like this couldn't find anything a couple hours later i'm brainstorming more and and uh i go to a uh, a home goods and or a michael's 
and I, I just start walking up and down and I get uh, a wooden a wooden anchor with a circular piece of wood and a whole bunch of nautical rope. And every Sunday night, I lived about 15 minutes away from where I grew up. And every Sunday night, I'd go over to my parents' house, my family's house, and have Sunday dinner. And so I, I bring this big bag of stuff from, from Michael's or Home Goods or whatever it was. And I said, okay, it's, uh, it's arts and crafts time tonight. We're going to make an anchor. And we came up with this, with this anchor. And I walked into practice the next day. The anchor was, was you know, attached with this thick nautical rope. And I came in looking like Flavor Flav. Had it around my neck. And I'm just dancing around. I got a big smile on my face. And they were looking at me like I have, like I have five heads. And we had a, a pre-practice kind of team building exercise where I had a definition of what an anchor was. And we started talking about, you know, the definition of an anchor, the meaning of an anchor. I had everybody, all, all the players, all the coaches sign the back of the anchor. And that became kind of like our, our pseudo mascot. And that was something that kind of that tied our team together, that the practice player of the day got that got the anchor. And the, the, the practice player yesterday gave it to the one today. We had it on our bench. We had it in the locker room. We traveled with it. The, the, the practice player of the day would wear it on the bus, would wear it off the bus. And it became something that, that the guys could rally around. Um, I think the, the number one thing that was, that was helpful was, was find something that the team can rally around, but also don't feel like you're, you're enslaved to what the previous coach did because yeah, you were a part of that coach's staff, but now again, going back to that authenticity, you have to coach like you're now the person leading the ship. You're the captain of the ship now. And so we actually had a lineup change two games into me taking over. I had thought about doing it before that game. The player that I was going to sit down off the starting lineup comes into our shoot around late that morning and made my decision really, really easy. We we made that change. The guy that we inserted into the starting lineup makes three threes, goes three for three from three in the first four minutes of the first half before the first media timeout. And so right away, like now the guys have a whole bunch of energy and we made, I think, five or six threes in the first 10 minutes of the game. And, and we ended up winning that game at home. And, and it was kind of like, okay, we have, we have a little bit more of identity now. We have a little bit of momentum. Now, how do we how do we continue to get the snowball, you know, down the hill and make it bigger, and 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 then just riding momentum from there. It was it was by far the most challenging two months of my coaching career, but it was by far the most beneficial, where I learned the most, and I I realized that if you stay true to who you are, um, you know, there's there's no such thing as a dead end situation. Yeah, that that's that's a really tough situation, and you know. I'm glad that you were you're able to come come up with something that to to you know tie your team together you know um with you know the nautical rope and, and the anchor and I think that I definitely think that's something not just for someone that took over something midway through but a lot of teams you know especially when you're facing adversity like that to then you know find something to to pull your team together L Okay, um, my next question is, uh, uh, my third question, is um, what do you hang your program's hat on? Like, what are your principles? What, are, what do you need to run a successful program in your eyes? You may not always get it, but what do you, what do you hang your hat on? 
Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, being able to, to have truth within your, your locker room is so important. And it's not just, um, you know, truth between coach and player and truth between player and player. I think everybody has to, in that locker room, be able to say what's on their mind, but then, you know, kind of back up what they're saying. And, and if I'm calling you out for your effort on defense, uh, I better make sure that I'm the, the one of the, the, the most, um, you know, the hardest working guys on the floor in practice and in games on defense, if I'm going to say anything about your defense or your effort. And so that accountability, the, 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 the honesty, the loyalty and truth is, is so important. Um, you know, I, I think every place I've been for the most part had some sort of identity, you know, that there was something in every place a little bit different. Um, I've been at some places like, like a Cortland where you are the hunted and some places like um, Maine Maritime and a little bit of Denison because they're, they're in a league with, with teams that are always in the top 10 every year um, as being the hunter. And I think you have to play off of that. I think you have to embrace the, the role that you have, but I also think you have to talk about it and, and be about it every day. If you're, if you're the hunter, you have to outwork people ahead of you. And if you're the hunted, then you have to always be, I think besides the, the work part of it, I think you always have to be diversifying yourself a little bit as a, as a program because everybody is gunning for you. So everybody's looking at what you do well and trying to stop what you do well. So now how many other tools in the toolbox do you have that you can go to when all these teams take away the best two or three things that you do? You know, Bill Parcells, legendary football coach, was always famous for what is a team, what's the next team that we're playing do well? Okay, those three things, they're not going to be allowed to do, you know, on Sunday. We're going to make sure that they, can, they have to do something else. So I think diversifying yourself when you're on top and then finding a way to, to be unique if you are, you know, you're, you're the hunter also because now you're, you're dealing with, you're not big and you're not, you, you, you don't have enough size. Maybe you don't have enough speed. You don't have enough shooting. You have, you have some injuries, you know, different things. How do you overcome those things? Um, you know, so just different things like that and having the guys buy into, okay, this is what we need to do to beat this opponent. And next time, you know, next game we play, or even the next time we play this team, it might be something different, but we're going to do everything we can to figure out a way to, to defeat the next team in front of us. Thank you. Jay Griff, you're up again. Sir. Um, so Dave, I, I know you've been in, you know, a ton of systems over the years and, and I think I know um, which offensive system you like the best, but uh, if you could discuss, um, what, what you like, uh, teaching the, the, the best offensive system that you like to run, um, and, and some of the schematics behind it. Sure. So I, I, I played in the Princeton system in college. And so that was, a, that was a way that I, I thought was good to play. If you had a certain personnel, if you had guys that could shoot, if you had guys that were cerebral, um, if you had mobile post guys, you know, not traditional back to the basket post guys, um, and if you wanted to play a certain way on defense, I, I'm always of the opinion that you have to marry your offense with your defense. You can't be 94 feet pressing up and down defensively 
and then play, um, you know, Virginia blocker, mover, motion. We're going to grind it out into the fifth. It just doesn't match up because you're trying to turn over the other, your opponent. You're trying to get more possessions on defense, but now on offense, you're trying to, it just doesn't, doesn't match up. Um, my first year at Maine Maritime as a head coach, I had a couple big guys that were, were pretty good. Um, one of which became academically ineligible uh, right around Christmas time. And we had an injury with another big guy. And so now I'm thinking we're the biggest team in our league height wise. And we go in about a 72 hour period to being the smallest team in our league. And we had to legitimately change our entire offense. We were doing horns action. We were doing, you know, double high ball screens. We were doing some, some screen to screener action, trying to get the ball inside. And now oh, we can't do that. We don't even have a post guy. So, or a legitimate post guy that I wanted to play. So the Princeton offense was, was really good for us. And we were very, very simplistic with it. We just did chin for the first few weeks of, of learning it in the second semester. We add the little stuff with the elbow and some stuff with, with still some, some screen, the screen interaction, some low, low post catches. Um, I believe in that system. That's what I feel most comfortable probably coaching offensively. But I also think that if you have a team that has a couple matchup nightmares, you don't want to necessarily put them in an offense where you're trying to promote five guys touching the ball on every possession. Cause you don't want all five guys touching the ball on every possession. You want to get the ball to those two or three guys that, Hey, these are the guys that we need to find a way to get the ball to in their sweet spot where they can take advantage of their matchup every single time down the floor. Um, and, and, and hopefully not get boring while you do it. So I, I'm always a big believer in your personnel has to dictate your system, your style. But then at the college level, we're very fortunate that you get to recruit to the style that you want to play eventually or the style that, hey, this is what's working for us now. And, okay, let's go find other guys that do, you know, things that we need, you know, need to do in our system. So, you know, to answer your question, I, I love the Princeton. If I, the next place I go, if I've got a stud big guy that, that's 10 feet and in and, and is just a man child, well, I'm not going to put him at the high post or make him go five out. Like, why? Like, just fire me right now. You know, like you have to, you have to figure out what your strengths are. Where, where is, where's your bread and butter, and then make sure you get the players to, you know, to the spots that they can do something with the ball and, and hopefully, you know, score some points efficiently. Thank, thank you for that. Um, last question I have for you, and as we've said many times here, you, you've been to uh, six schools in 16 years. Um, some of them are public schools. Some of them are private schools. Um, and right now you're at NYU, private, private institution in the UAA, which is one of the more competitive Division Three conferences in, in the country. Um, what are some of the, uh, the advantages, different disadvantages of being at a public university versus uh, a private university at the division three level. Yep. So public versus private. I mean, can I do this money? Money's a big one. <laughs> that's, that's the number one thing I could think of, you know, coaches, salaries, recruiting budgets, how you travel, how you dress, who you're fighting for, for an extra couple bucks to take your team out to a good meal. Um, you know, that's, that's the number one thing. I think by and large state schools are probably more regionally based. Uh, you know, where you're not going to be able at Cortland, I think I recruited one Jersey guy in, in three years, like it's New York or bust. 
Denison private school. We recruit a lot in Chicago. We recruit a lot in the West Coast. Some you know other places in the Midwest. Some down in Florida. Um, you know Merchant Marine because legitimately they told us they wanted they wanted midshipmen from all fifty states in the country. So we have we had to go and we actually had better success finding players in states that they had trouble filling their their state quotas every year with student athletes with students in general. Um, then going to, you know, trying to recruit five guys from New York every year. Um, Maine Maritime was probably the most unique in that it was a state institution, but you had a product that so few around the country offered. There are only a half a dozen state maritime schools in the country, plus Merchant Marine, and that's it. So if somebody wanted, you know, to, um, you know, to be in the, in the, in the Merchant Marines, if they wanted to go into the Navy or the Coast Guard and go active duty, they could do that with our education as well. So we found guys in Tennessee, uh, in Florida, in California, um, you know, all over. Are we going to get the kid from Kansas? It takes you know, one in a million, but, it, and we actually got one at, at Merchant Marine, but that was, that was one guy out of a whole bunch that we tried. Um, NYU is the world. Like legitimately, we've got four or five international players on our team this year. If we were if we were having a season, um, and then John Jay, you know, you could potentially try to recruit nationally, but it's a lot, you know, a lot really from from New York and the five boroughs and Long Island and and Westchester. So um, to answer your question, I've loved every place I've been every place has been unique. Every place has, has made me better as a coach and, and, and maybe better as a recruiter. And, um, and I've always embraced the uniqueness of every place I've been. Uh, what I, what I prefer better, I prefer the, the private school dollars with the state school toughness, which is a hard combination because you don't usually get a lot of toughness when you have the private school dollars. But I'm, I'm a state school guy at heart. I mean, both my college degrees, my master's, my bachelor's are both from state schools. Um, that's who I am. You know, I'm, I'm from a blue collar area. I, I'm not, uh, I don't have a lot of frills to me. Um, that's so that's who I relate with uh, the best. Uh, but at the same time, when I can go and I can go talk to a kid that's in Sweden, or I can go, you know, talk to a kid from, from um, Vancouver, Canada, or you name it. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. You know, you you could get you can get the trouble a lot of rabbit holes with being able to recruit the world because a lot of dead ends could could take place and you're spending a lot of time in in areas where you're not going to get that kid. But it's really cool to have that ability to legitimately get a kid from anywhere in the world because he knows what NYU stands for. Yeah, that's got to be really cool to be able to be at a university that so many people know like NYU has a prominent name and it has a, and it has prominent basketball program. You guys have been pretty successful over the years. Um, coach, thank you so much for your time. You know, it, it was, it was awesome having you on, you know, yep. learning about, you know, your, your travels through division three. Um, the benefits of, of division three and what it has to, to offer for, for all kids. Cause I think there is that, that mis misconception that division three, well, it's division one or bust, you know? And, and I think um, you kind of settled some, 
some, uh, so, you know, put out some good information that, that division three is, is, you know, is good basketball and, and really good academics. And I know Jay sitting at a division three as well can, can say the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I appreciate you having me on Ben. And uh, you know, I know we, we started, you know, talking about you know, come, me coming on, you know, over DMS on Twitter. And I, I love talking to people that I don't, know very well or don't know at all you know like you know l i i I loved your questions you know those are great questions um my favorite thing and i don't think enough coaches in our profession do this is try to seek out people that they don't know and ask them questions or get to know them or learn from them um and i don't i don't want anything from you i just want to learn from you i just want to have a conversation i want to start a relationship because i respect x y and z from afar and i want to learn more and I want to maybe think of things in a different way, in a contrarian way. So uh, I really appreciate the invitation. Um, and, uh, and certainly, um, you know, anybody that, that would be listening to this, uh, they can get a hold of me anytime and, and uh, would love to talk to them as well. So thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Yeah. David, David Muchnick, assistant coach at NYU. Thank you so much for being on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Basketball Coaches Roundtable. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at BCR Podcast 11.